Welcome to Season 2 of The Word and the Glass. Thank you all so much for choosing to spend a few precious moments of your valuable time with us. The Word and the Glass is a podcast by the saints for the saints, dedicated to finding answers in the only source of truth, the Word of God. We are devoted to sound doctrine and biblical theology, the building up of the church, and the encouragement of the faithful. Season 2 finds us in a little bit of a different mindset, where Season 1 was a large group discussing the high-level theological and doctrinal necessities of the believer. This season we are taking a much smaller, more on-the-ground approach. This shift comes for a number of reasons, not least of which is the fact that, as we discussed in one of the very first episodes, things would likely shift and change over time. Our goal going into this was to speak the truth in love, to speak to the wayward way of thinking with the truth of the Word of God, and to examine all things through the Word of God. A groundwork needed to be set. Sound doctrine and biblical theology are paramount in our being able to respond to the world around us, and so we chose a lot of foundational, essential points to address. Who we are in Christ, ecclesiology, speaking the truth, grace versus merit, the sexual revolution and its assault on our families, biblical manhood, where our hope is found, and more. If you're new here or haven't captured all of season one, I encourage you to take some time and go back to listen. There are fundamental truths there and it's worth exploring. Season two will be a little bit different. If season one was a very high concept look at the fundamentals, season two will be a very boots on the ground look at the culture that we currently find ourselves in. I'm tired y'all. Not tired of fighting the good fights or confessing the truth. I'm not even tired of being bombarded with the lies and evils that this current culture continues to launch. Isaiah 40, 29, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Nahum 1, 7, the Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. Laminations 3, 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Those are just four of, I think, approximately two billion verses that point to God's provision, his strength, his love, his mercies, all for us, his people. I'm not tired of the battle. I'm tired of sitting back comfortably and watching it all go by without saying anything. I feel like so many of us, Christians as a whole, are tucking our heads in the sand, clinging to the promises of God while doing it, but just closing out the world around us, hoping for that day that it'll all go away or get better or return to normal. Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
Vody said on the sword and the trowel the other day, and I'm paraphrasing here, but if you want to go get it verbatim, you can go listen to the latest episode. He said, we have to be clear. You know, we, we say we're for the gospel. We say we're for the sufficiency of scripture and we're for the supremacy of Christ, which are all good things. But when we are being attacked by a particular enemy, by a particular ideology, it's not just enough to say what we're for. We also have to say what we're against. That hit home and just really kind of cemented the direction for season two. Abortion, CRT, BLM, vaccine mandates, the erasure of the male and female, the erasure of the nuclear family, government control over us and over our kids, etc. Tens of thousands of unvaccinated illegal immigrants crossing our borders are not required to get vaccinated or even to become legal citizens, while dedicated, hardworking Americans, legal American citizens, are getting fired or forced to quit by the thousands every day because of a conscious decision not to get an experimental injection that is not actually a vaccine and is not actually approved. My body, my choice. Go back to where you came from and re-enter by legitimate legal means. Heresy, blasphemy, racist, bigot. An ex-Special Forces soldier just made his debut in the Octagon last week and annihilated his opponent. His opponent outmatched outclassed and outperformed him the entire fight. He could not land a punch and he got pelted so many times that I lost count, but he still won. He took everything his opponent threw at him as if he did not even feel it. He not only won, but he viciously pummeled, bled, and choked out his superior opponent. That is because the ex-Special Forces soldier now identifies as a woman and he fought a woman in a woman's bout. And the culture that we find ourselves in applauded him. He absorbed every punch. Because of his bone density, his skeletal structure, he was pathetically inadequate as a fighter. The woman he fought was incredible. But one body punch from him dropped her. Boys don't hit girls. Why can't we say that anymore? Don't watch the fight. It'll make you sick. Our children are being forced to wear masks at school forced to wear masks. Did anyone watch the Emmys? I didn't. I saw a lot of pictures. No one was wearing a mask. No one, except the help. And I won't even get started on the disgusting stand some are taking against not killing babies. How is that even up for debate? These are just a few things that have happened this week. There are a million more, and within each of these, there are myriad lies and sins and atrocities and injustices on many different levels, but it all goes back to sin. I could go on and on and on, and I'm sure you could too. Don't worry, season two is not going to be political. I hate politics, and I made a conscious decision years and years ago to never get into them, in any venture, in any way. But ladies and gentlemen, hear me. This is not politics. This is spiritual warfare. And we need to respond. We respond with love. We respond with truth. We respond with hope. We gather. We pray. We lift each other up. But we also must clearly say no. Again, it's not enough to say just what we're for. We also have to say what we're against. We need to stand up. That is what season two is about.
In this first episode, I'd like to share a short message that I delivered last Wednesday night on 1 Timothy. It's titled, Equipped for the Call, and I think it's a good way to kind of get into season two. Next week, Jeremiah, Dan, and I will be together again around the table to discuss moral authority, biblical versus secular. But for now, here's me on 1 Timothy. Last time we looked at the relationship between Paul and Timothy, how Timothy was Paul's disciple, co-laborer, and dearest friend for the latter part of Paul's ministry, as well as his true son in faith. We looked at Timothy's God-given spiritual gifts of leadership, teaching, and preaching, and his apostolic confirmation in the laying on of hands by Paul. Their relationship was special, ordained and orchestrated by God, wrought through tireless discipleship, ministry, and trials, strong enough to endure miles and even years apart. We learned that Paul, after removing the wayward leadership of Hymenius and Alexander, left Timothy in Ephesus with the task of returning the church and most likely the surrounding churches that had given themselves to teaching false doctrine and devoted themselves to myths and endless genealogies back to the gospel. As we continue our study of Timothy, there are two things I want to address here tonight. How was Timothy equipped to handle this task? And how we might apply that to our lives so that we are equipped for our calling. We must be properly equipped, just like Timothy, for our calling, lest we find ourselves lacking, or even worse, shipwrecked. I'm calling this message Equipped for the Call. And now if you would like to read along with me, 1 Timothy 3-7. through As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The first point I want to touch on is doctrine. The first thing that I want us to see here is that the very first thing Paul gives to Timothy to address is doctrine. Charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. The King James Version says, charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Timothy was trained and well-versed in apostolic doctrine, which is the doctrine of the gospel, and he was well-trained in the Old Testament. Paul would not have placed him there and left him there without that. We must know doctrine, true doctrine, of which there is only one. So often today we hear your truth or relative truth. My friends, that is false doctrine. There is only one truth and we must be equipped with it. We must, as Timothy did, know that truth. And what is that truth? It is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Any other doctrine is not true doctrine. And what is the opposite of true? False. 
anything outside of or contrary to the word of God to all scripture is false doctrine. That is why it is so important that we know doctrine and study doctrine so that we will be equipped for every good work and so that we will be able to discern what is not true. This current age, this culture we find ourselves in scoffs at this. They scoff at truth. They will have their own truth. But I tell you this, that it is a lie and it is dangerous. In 2 Peter 1, 19-21, we read, And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The world will have their truth, but it will be a damned thing. 2 Corinthians 11, 13-15 says this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Doctrine. What is it? It is the word of God. Timothy knew the word of God. He knew the Old Testament. He knew true doctrine. But is it enough just to know true biblical doctrine? Short answer, no. Point number two is the aim of our charge. Tozer said this of knowing doctrine without living doctrine. There is scarcely anything so dull and meaningless as Bible doctrine taught for its own sake. Truth divorced from life is not truth in its biblical sense, but something else and something less. We must know it. We must study it. We must live it. Back to the text. Verse 4, Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. There are many different callings. And know this, brothers and sisters, we are all called. Romans 8.30 Those whom God predestined, these he also called. And those whom he called, these he also justified. And those whom he justified, these he also glorified. We are all called. I don't know specifically what that call is. You may not even know specifically what that call is. But if you are a child of God, called by his grace, then you are called. And you must walk in that calling with love and a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. That is the aim of our charge. Doctrine without these is dead. J.C. Ryle says this, Doctrine is useless if it is not accompanied by a holy life. It is worse than useless. It does positive harm. Something of the image of Christ must be seen and observed by others in our private life and habits and character and doings. 
we must be transformed to be equipped. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, and we must bear the fruit of that transformation. Timothy was equipped because he not only knew the Bible, he lived it out. He was transformed by it. Look at John 15, 4 through 8 with me. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We who are called must be transformed and bear fruit of that transformation. We must know the word of God and live it. By this, we will be so equipped to answer our calling. And the third and last point I want to make is the call. Michael Chandler says this of Timothy. The Bible sheds light on a remarkably strong, tenacious follower of Jesus, one who faced intimidating odds but stood for what is right. Exhortations to remain faithful do not presuppose the possibility of failure, but reinforce confidence already present by a life saturated with the scriptures from one's youth. Christian, God has taken away our natural fear of others and replaced it with his strength, love for people, and a well-disciplined mind. Do not be intimidated, but stand for what you believe. Timothy was called by Paul and by God to remain in Ephesus. It is interesting to note that Paul urged Timothy to remain. And then in verse 3 of chapter 1, he restates, he reminds Timothy of this urging. Verse 3, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Paul knew that Timothy did not want to be there. Timothy wanted to be with his mentor, with his spiritual father. He may have seen this calling as a lesser cause than what he would or could be doing by Paul's side. He may have been intimidated by his youth. As we saw last time, Timothy was not much older than some of our young ones are here when he began his work as Paul's co-laborer. But Paul reminds Timothy in chapter 4, verse 12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Timothy was appointed by Paul and more importantly by God, to minister to the church of Ephesus and was well equipped for the task, even despite his youth. He was called to a very difficult task, an uphill battle, and make no mistake, it was a battle. Verse 18 of the very first chapter, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. But when called by a great leader, even against seemingly insurmountable odds, men and women respond. 
And who better to receive a call from than Almighty God? Timothy would respond, and so must we. There is a winsome and oft-retold story that in 1907, Sir Ernest Shackleton placed an ad in the London Times to find strong, courageous, and youthful men to accompany him on his first Nimrod Antarctic expedition. It read, Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful honor and recognition in event of success. That's quite a call, and I'll admit not one that I would be quick to answer, but Shackleton was a well-known and well-respected leader. He received over 5,000 applications, and it wasn't for the money, it wasn't for the comfort, it was for the honor and recognition. We, like Timothy, are called. We may not all be called to the same ministry or service, but we are all called. And we are called not by man, but by our Lord and Savior, the commander of the army of God. Jesus is our commander, and it is to his charge that we are called. May we answer that call. May we be able to say, as I'm sure Timothy did, and as we know that Paul did, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I'll leave you with this. Eliza E. Hewitt was born in 1851. She was a valedictorian and a schoolteacher until she was bedridden by an accident. It was here in bed, in misery, her career and all ambitions lost, that she became one of the most well-known hymnists of our time. She wrote, More about Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. That is our honor. That is our recognition. And that is our call. Are you equipped? Thank you all so much for tuning in to the first episode of season two of The Word and the Glass. I hope that message was encouraging. I hope that you enjoyed what little time we had together. And please join us next week as we return to the roundtable and discuss moral authority, biblical versus secular. Again, remember, take this to heart this week, Ephesians 5, 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. God bless. Why should I sorrow anymore? I trust to say you're slain and safe beneath the sheltering cross unmoved. I shall remain. Let Satan and this world now rage, you now allure. The promises in Christ are made immutable and sure. The oath infallible is now my spirit's trust. I know that he who spoke the word is faithful, true and just. 
He'll bring me on my way unto my journey's end. He'll be my Father and my God, my Savior and my friend. Nothing on this earth near, nor out in the universe far. No created thing could ever separate. Or tear us apart. He who promised is faithful, for he has saved. So who could reverse it? I could never, no, never doubt his promises. So all my doubts and fears shall hold. And every mournful night of tears be turned to joyous day. All that remains for me is but to love and sing, and wait until the angels come to bear me to my King. Nothing on this earth here, nor out in the universe far. No, no.